good to be with you. It's good to be with you. Um, I, uh, we've been going through a series um, that's kind of was springboarded off this day called Pentecost. It's this day where the kind of giving of the Holy Spirit to this first church. And for those of us who, uh, the, the kind of spiritual world or how we understand like the universe and the cosmic and the unseen, and I, I always struggle with ways to sort of like help help folks who are who are so far away from kind of the Bible's language get things. I, I struggle to, on how to do that. And especially when you sometimes get to some of the weird stuff, right? How many of you are followers of Jesus? Maybe you brought your friend with you and you're like, man, I hope Andrew doesn't talk about the weird stuff today. Right? So welcome to 101 Demonology. You know, I, it, it, it's hard, right? Even, even I'm just, I'm being honest, I'm pulling back the veil a little bit. Like we talk about that in our partner meetings, right? For those with partners, sort of like members, like folks that are like really, they're, they're in. And so then we have, like we go off on a retreat and we talk about like the stuff that's hard to talk about where there's a sort of assumed thing. And there's some wisdom to that, I think. But, but too, too often, I'm just being honest, I, I, I so desperately want things to be plausible in the mind of the average person providence person i hate that there's no good word for that by the way it's like the new yorker there's a bostonian what's a providence person providencian <laughs> so like bourgeois providencian you have one that's it providencian all right i'm gonna go with providencian done we marked it this day um i i want to help make sense of this and there's just sometimes a really hard thing so this whole series has actually been difficult that's why I took two of the Sundays off and didn't preach on them. Um, that's not why. But it's been really, really, um, I think, good for us to sort of ask. And this is the question that our partners are, are really diving into over the last, like, the team night and the, the thing we had today is, is saying, how do we do ministry in such a way that Paul describes not just with words but with power? How are we a people being led by the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit is like the third person of the Trinity, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they all make up this oneness of God. There's one God, three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which again, I can say that, and most of you who have grown up in and around church just accept that. I uh, don't even think about the mystery and the strangeness of it. Some of you have thought about the mystery of it, but you still kind of basically get some things and you've got some nice metaphors. And for the rest of us, for me to take time to try to even explain that feels a bit strange. Right, obviously God is both the father of all, right, the Greeks call the logos, sometimes the, the, the great grounding. And then there's the Jesus who was a guy who walked this earth. He wasn't just a rabbi and a good teacher. He was also somehow mysterious to the son of God, but existed forever, but not really. And then he sent the Holy Spirit, which was always with us, but not really in the same kind of way and gets poured out in a different way. Cool, we're all in the same page, right? No. And so the last couple weeks, uh, hopefully for those of you who've been tracking with us, we've had some good teaching, just kind of outlining just some, some, some real basic foundational pieces. And, and we've been talking mostly about the presence, like with what, when the Holy Spirit comes, like what does it look like and what does it mean? And we've had a sort of guiding quote, and so today I'm going to transition us from talking a lot about the presence to the power, kind of week one of two weeks talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us to be a church led by the power of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Spirit of God? In fact, before I get to this first quote, I want to read this. This has been helpful for me. And this is maybe one attempt at helping those um, who have a sense of the spirituality but they wouldn't consider themselves religious and certainly not Christian. Frederick Buechner says this. He says, the common view is that life itself, whatever life is, 
does not care one way or another any more than the ocean cares whether we swim in it or drown in it. All right, the ocean's not, not thinking about such things. In honesty, one has to admit that a great deal of the evidence supports such a view. That life is indifferent. That whatever life is and spirit in is, the generating force behind, in, through everything, the connectivity of the universe, for those of you who, who know your science well. But rightly or wrongly, the Christian faith flatly contradicts that. To say that God is spirit is to say that life does care. That the life-giving power that life itself comes from is not indifferent as to whether we sink or swim. It wants us to swim. It wants us to swim. This is, this is an attempt to just, this, the, the God of the universe has shown himself and what he is like in a, in a form of a person the God, the Father, the, the, the guiding uh, aspect of who God is, the sort of overall and through all, and then the Holy Spirit is sent, we're told, to come alongside us and give us presence and power. So this has been a quote we've been operating out of. Pentecost is to be seen. So this giving of the Holy Spirit is to be, is, is to be seen as the moment when the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples so why we open our Bibles, we, we learn about what it was like when Jesus was with the disciples, the forefathers of the church, these first people, these 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, really, that, that Jesus says, come with me. Come with me. Let me show you how to, to, to learn the way of, of God, what God is like. So the presence of Jesus with the disciples is translated at the giving of the Holy Spirit into the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. Because Pentecost signals the mode and means by which the chief executive is putting his new authority into operation. The personal presence of Jesus with the disciples at Pentecost, where we find ourselves now, is translated into the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. One analogy, I was trying to think through a good analogy, and it would be maybe this. Um, in the military, you go through extensive training. You're learning. And, and, and I'm sure there's, there are times where you're active, actually using like live ammo. But, but let's go to the, 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 the places of simulation. If you're a pilot and you're, you're in a simulator or you're firing blanks, right, as you're engaged in a combat scene with actually your, your friends. You're being trained up. You're with the general, the sergeant, the commanding officer, right, and you're being trained. You're, you're going through. You're not actually doing the thing, but you're watching others. You're learning strategy. You're in simulation. You're, 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 you're a part of the, the thing. You, you haven't quite, like, actually put the uniform on in a, in a metaphorical sense and gone out into battle. And then there's that day you get deployed. There's that day you have to fly the mission. And all of a sudden, you're not in a simulator anymore or just flying a, a jet with no ammunition on it. You're actually about to fire. Your gun is actually loaded, right? They actually give you a, a, the big boy tank. It clearly didn't, wasn't in the military. The big boy tank. In some ways, this is the picture we get at Pentecost, that Jesus is walking alongside the disciples, showing them the way, 
doing ministry with them, teaching them the Old Testament, the Torah. Here's what it looks like to do this. Here's what the way of God looks like. If you love me and are in relationship with me, you'll do these things because these are the ways of, of life. And he's showing them. And then he drops crazy phrases like, very truly I tell you, you will then do even greater things than you see me doing. And then at, he says, there's one who I'm going to give you And it says in John 14, he's going to show you and remind you of the things that I've taught you. John 14 says, I've come to show you, the. the, uh, it says, all of this I have spoken while still with you. John 14, 25. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Even that is like, I'm giving you my life and my ministry. And I'm giving you the power to go and do as you make the power in some way to actually do this stuff on your own. Jesus is, is saying, he says, you will do even greater things than these. These are statements that if you've grown up in and around church or even been in sanctuary the last couple of years, you go, yes, uh-huh, I agree, and we walk out the door. And what we need to do and be is a community constantly if you're anything like me, and I, I like my job is to like study this stuff and stay like, like relatively wise and lead the church decently well, maybe sometimes, on stuff like this. And I forget. I, I go over my notes yesterday and I'm like, oh man, here are three more ways I can completely do X, Y, and Z. We're going to talk about the X, Y, and Z a little bit today. What does it mean then for us to be a church of power? A church leading with the Holy Spirit. A church where we are stepping out of training and into battle. That we are going to be the force of love and humility and servanthood that we are called to be. To do that, we need to then make sure we have a clear picture of, of, of what we read in John 14. That the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Again, which is a very Jewish way of saying my life imparted to you. So what did Jesus teach them? What are the words of Jesus? Why do we have the scriptures and what does this look like? This is why we get together all the time and we talk about this stuff. But I want to hit some really central things that often are neglected and I would argue are the central components of the ministry of Jesus. If, if the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and whispers in our ear, this is what, I want to remind you of the things Jesus taught you. I want to instill in you the power to go and do this. All right, the picture we get in Acts 2 of Pentecost is all of a sudden, like young men and old men will dream dreams. Man, woman, slave, free, will, will be able to hear the voice of God and will be empowered to go and do. If all this is true, then what is the thing that we're being empowered to do? Mark 1, 15 just a sense of what Jesus is doing. What is the primary thing? I got into a conversation yesterday at the Arts Festival because I'm stupid and I don't know why I do this. There's a, anyone saw him? He was a street preacher. Yeah, he was standing up. He actually was pretty tame as street preachers go, to be fair. He was up on a, almost a literal soapbox. It was pretty awesome. I actually commented. I was like, dude, well done on the actual soapbox. He didn't get the joke. And I got into this whole thing because... For him, and I think for many, this isn't just like sort of the extreme, the reason Jesus came and clearly stuff Jesus talked about was to get to heaven when we die. That was what he came to talk about. 
This is the, really the main point is eternal life. And we, we forget that almost everything Jesus talked about came before he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. All right, just think about that for a second. Pretty much everything Jesus talks about and tells us about is pre-cross. Jesus never like talks about, here's how to understand my death in 33 years. None of it. Well, there's some nuance there. We'll go back to that some later time. Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come. The rule and reign of God is here. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. He came to show the world and introduce what the kingdom of God actually looks like. What is the way of God? George Ladd says this, the kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of God manifested in the person and work of Christ, creating a people over whom he reigns and issuing in a realm or realms in which the power of his reign is realized. Jesus comes to recover, we learn in the scriptures, our authority. Jesus comes to recover. All authority has been given to me and then he gives this to, to us. This is another image of this power being translated to us as we go and we serve. I've used this example a million times, but I find it's the best. It's, it's the, when we talk about our authority and our place in furthering the kingdom, it, it's, the, the, it's Jane Smith, the, the, the tiny little woman downtown directing traffic. Okay, when you pull up in your car, when, when the semi-trailer truck like pulls up and she goes, stop, because she's got to let You're not stopping because it's Jane Smith. Right? Right? It's not because, like, the truck could just run over her. You're not stopping her. Like, she might be some total jerk. Like, what is she? You're doing it because why? She wears the badge. You're doing it because if you run her down or you don't listen to her, there are consequences with the Providence Police or with the state or with the, I mean, she technically, if you follow the line back, has a nuclear arsenal in, you know, like, behind her. Like, she represents the authority. So she herself is not the authority. And so... This, Jesus comes to reclaim our authority and says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So when we talk about when we wake up in the morning and you're seeking first the kingdom, like we've boiled this down too often to personal devotions. If we seek first the kingdom, it means we do, we get up and we, and that's really good. If most of us were on that place where we actually got up and spent 10, 15 minutes with God every morning, it would shift the way we think about the world and the way we see things. We've talked a lot about this recently. But to seek first the kingdom of God, we can't just reduce this to that. Seeking first the way and rule of God where we have people, we are people who have a lens to go, well, God, I know in some way has given me authority and power and I want to lead with God. Where, what are you up to and how can I join you in that? In 1 John 2, 3 to 6, we get another picture of our role in the kingdom. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I find most people will reduce this down to social justice. So for those in the room who are like, yeah, care for the poor. And the other folks are like, yeah, personal devotion. That's like, this is some, for some reason, these two verses seem to split along those lines. We can't reduce it. One writer says this. Every time someone turns to Jesus in repentance, finding forgiveness and eternal life, the kingdom is extended. 
Each time Jesus heals, casts out demons, prevents destruction, or raises the dead, the kingdom is advanced. Every healing or deliverance in the name of Jesus is curbing the enemy's power and the frontiers of darkness are pushed back. Speaking of his approaching death and triumph through the cross, Jesus said, now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's speaking of evil and the brokenness, the personality behind them manifested in these pictures of the, of the, the deceiver, the Satan, um, this, the, the reality of what happens when our choices take on personality and the actual person of, of evil, of this, this unbelievably powerful and personal archetype of everything that is working against us. And he says, Jesus, the process of driving out still continues today. We are meant to be actively involved in it, in driving out. This is not about power for its own sake. It's about love and when you ask someone about like a, a radical encounter they have with this God, any of you who've come to Jesus recently even, I'm thinking of a few of you, I know the things that you described feeling as I kind of like, what, what was the process like of you saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I, I, I recognize God in my life. That I, I see that God is drawing me to himself. It felt love. They have felt love. Jesus' ministry was marked by a delivering, powerful, tangible love. Jesus says, and then John 14, earlier on in this section, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So even Jesus operates on the authority of God the Father. That says something about how we are to operate in the world. Again, this isn't acting of our own strength. It's saying, God, what are you up to? Most Christians burn themselves out doing a bunch of stuff that God never called them to do in the first place. God's not there. And just because it's a good thing doesn't mean it's the thing that God's called you to do. Amen? Rather, it is the Father living in me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He, like, he knows some people aren't going to believe. So look around you. Look at the work that's happened here. Look at the driving out of brokenness. And then he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And immediately when we read that or when you heard me say, say that before, Excuse me. I said that before. I, I think the impulse, at least mine, is, is to kind of like brush that off. Jesus didn't really mean that. Except for the fact that he said very truly. Like, no, for real. Like, I want to make sure. I, I almost sometimes feel like Jesus is saying that. Like, he's expecting, like, yeah, yeah, right. Right? Like, throughout the centuries, this verse has rung out as sort of a, yeah, cool, like, in a way. Like not in any real, tangible, actual way. And he's like, no, I know you're not going to believe this. Very truly, I tell you, the same access to the power I have and the authority of God you have. This stretches our theology because it doesn't line up with our experience. It doesn't line up with what we've actually experienced. And then we come up with sort of gymnastics, theological, intellectual gymnastics, to justify our lack of experience of what Jesus actually offers us. I know he said that, but I haven't experienced it. And I think more than anything, something like this needs to stir a hunger inside our community. That we are not passive churchgoers. 
We are people who are, who are hungry to see the things happen that God has promised us, that the life of God that is in front of us we can actually step into. And I think why this is hard for some of us, especially those of us who've been Christians for a while, it's why I love in the passage about Pentecost, this first giving of the Spirit, it says old men will dream dreams. And I, I always think, I think for folks that are, are, are older, whether it be spiritually or are like actually just a lot older, I can imagine like the, the like dream dream, like the dreams part is starting to, to fade. Like right, more life feels like it's behind you than in front of you. Right? I, my, my impulse would be how many dreams are actually like coming out like for what's next? That hunger and that drive for what's to come. That young men and the old, oh, thank you, are, are going to, 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 be, to be stirred in such a way that we recognize what God is doing in our hearts and in our churches and has instilled in us a sense of hunger of what can come. And I, the reason why I say I think it's also in those that are spiritually old when you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, how many of you have had a propensity to feel like you've seen it all? I've been a part of church for 10 years. I was raised in a pretty decent community and everyone was pretty moral and pretty all right, but now I'm at this place where, I mean, I'm really not expecting something new more. Because a lot of times we realize we've been living our faith through the leadership. We've been living out our faith through like the celebrity preacher. We've been living out our faith through the folks that we kind of surround ourselves with who are really great, through that family or that couple that are really great. And it's sort of by like osmosis that we believe we're following Jesus because we're around them and they're really spiritually encouraging. Where is our hunger to seek first the kingdom of God, to actually trust very truly, I tell you, I've given my power and my presence in you to actually slap on the badge of the uniform and to go out into battle. And I need to clear this up. I always need to clear this up. I really struggle with military metaphors, but actually they're there in the scripture. And I only say I struggle with it in that sometimes the perception of Christianity is this sort of culture war. When I say go into battle, I want everyone to hear me, especially those who are like brand new to church or have a lot of baggage. This is not like a go in and like take back the country for Jesus. Like this is when we, if we're talking about the power to do the things that God taught us to do, this is going in with passion and removing our possessions that we are living more simply. This is going in with passion that we are caring for, for, the, for, the, for the, the poor among us. For some of us, this is a passion to going in and showing people and telling people about the love of God and how God has moved us and stirred us and how could we not share this life with others. This is about raising our families in such a way that is redemptive. I could go down the line, but it's all built on the servant picture of Christ dying on the cross so this is us charging into our city to die for our city, not charging in to overtake it, just to clear up. So what are the works? What are the, what are the things, the ministry? The Holy Spirit comes and gives us power, empowers us to do the work of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm sending my spirit, the advocate, to show you and remind you of the things of Jesus and empower you to do them. So we do not have time, even if we didn't have like communion before thing, to do this anyway. And so I want to, I'm going to extend an invitation. I'm going to do a class in a couple of weeks on these two things. But there, there are three things. But one is healing. As we're talking about like the weird stuff, like are we actually trusting that God would empower some of us to heal? 
both the bro- both the broken systems and the and the and the and the just wretchedness we see around us in real tangible physical ways and actually like seeing people actually like healed in the total weird sense of the word welcome to church a third of the gospel is around miracles of healing. When you lay out the Bible, he heals people constantly. Apparently, this is a huge part of the ministry of Jesus. Two would be the prophetic. I can speak to this just for a moment. We're told that everybody gets to prophesy, like everybody gets to to know the way of God and to be able to speak that. One of the divine birthrights of being a Christian is that my sheep will hear my voice and follow me, Jesus says. That doesn't mean my sheep will read the Bible and follow general principles. Okay, there's a difference between following the general principles and reading like a Joyce Meyer devotional about how to be like relatively happy and content today. For all the good that that can sometimes come, this is different. My sheep will hear my voice and follow me. I love the Bible, but we're told there is more intimacy. So how are we, how are we actually hearing God? To, to prophesy is to hear the word of God and to speak it. So, so again, I, I, for those of you who want to dive deeper into this, and some of this stuff I, I talked about at our retreat last fall, but these are the sorts of reminders that we continue to need, and this summer is going to be a big part of this. Our partners are going through this, but this is like for everyone. Are we becoming more aware and dialed into what it means to be led by the power of the Spirit, that we would be able to do the work of Jesus with the actual power of him and not s- s- submit ourselves to burnout? And, and a third major piece, just when I lay out the Bible and I look, would be deliverance. Like actually delivering people from evil. Mark 1, 27 says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. He travels throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I wasn't joking about like Demon Sunday. <laughs> like, like what does it mean to identify the brokenness and evil around us? I don't want to point out, how many of you know, I, I, I just mentioned this years ago, or a year ago at the retreat, how many of you know who Mark Driscoll is? How many of you know who Rob Bell is? How many of you know who neither of those two people are? Oh, I love that a lot of you don't. Cool. Awesome. To those who don't know either, this is like a Christian culture moment. So consider yourself blessed, actually. Seriously. Um, so Mark Driscoll, uh, just in his healthier days, uh, very conservative, uh, reformed teacher. Very reformed teacher. Very systematic way of seeing the scriptures. What I see in the Bible, right at face value, there it is. A really strong Bible teacher, really strong on like doctrine. Um, both of these people would have would struggle with the way I'm characterizing them right now, but we're just going to go with it. Uh, uh, Rob Bell, um, when in his healthier days, or are still he- however you feel about Rob Bell, he's a really divisive one. Um, uh, he, he's someone who uh, was in a very conservative environment in Michigan and actually, so then thus really helping people understand the gray. And so he gets kind of framed up as very liberal. He just did a big tour with like Oprah. Um, you know, some people kind of question his Christian credentials sometimes. So you've got, you've got Driscoll conservative, you've got Bell liberal. When asked relatively recently within the last two years, because it's part of my job to stay up on this, or at least I tell myself that when I get lost in reading some random blog. Both of these people... When asked, clear as day, Rob Bell a year ago on his, like, what is the Bible blog, and Mark Driscoll in a sermon he gave just before his church melted down, was, it did happen, was, what do you think about the devil? Do you believe in evil and personified evil? 
Some variant of those two questions. And both are resounding crystal clear, which is sometimes hard for Bell. Crystal clear, yes. And I only say that as a little, well, I say that as a little bit of a proof text in that I know sometimes it is really hard, especially when you're first exposed to some of this like out there spiritual stuff, the hard stuff and the weird stuff to believe that there could be evil or dark forces or it only gets relegated to like, I feel weird when I go into my grandma's house because I feel like I'm in the Poltergeist movie, right? Like that's the extent of it. Or like when I'm up on the mountain, like I was in Vermont and I'm like, surely there is the amazing Holy Spirit moving through me as I'm like looking around the mountains. Like, uh, that one was pretty true actually. (laughs) um, It's easy for us to kind of just shun away from this stuff and keep it really at bay and not want to talk about it. And I would just humbly submit to you that Jesus talks a lot about driving out evil in all its forms. And we can have lots of fun conversations about that if you're interested in it. Again, we do this class. I'm just going to keep pushing this class. But we need to recognize that part of the ministry of Jesus, deliverance, healing, and the prophetic, speaking truth, delivering people and healing people in all its forms are the major overwhelmingly major components of the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, we're told again by Jesus, is to come and to remind us of the things that Jesus taught us and empower us and give us the life and power of Jesus to go. So we have to know about these things. And I think we have some major hindrances because I'm going to assume something, that a good chunk of us, maybe 75, maybe more, have read a decent amount of the Bible and have a basic understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. So I want to run through just really quickly some of the things that I think create hindrances to us besides just knowing more about these things. What are the things that cause us to not actually go, God, I trust that very truly you can do even greater things through me. I'm hungry to know where you're moving. I'm hungry to be able to live out the beautiful and powerful and life-giving and generous way of God. How do I do that? Here's some things I think get in the way. One, for us to be hungry for more, I think apathy is number one. I like my church how it is. I like my ministry. I I like the things that we're doing. The money's coming in and things get really weird and we start talking about demons. It jacks everything up when we begin to actually like trust in the Holy Spirit and leading. I've heard from so many people that they love coming to sanctuary because it's a safe place and that is amazing and beautiful. But we need to continue to be calling us to be more in our city. Two, bad theology. Uh, I think the idea, some of you may come from a background called cessationism. I think it's really, really, really hard to defend biblically. That scripture um, is sort of the only thing we need is just trust in the Bible and obey the principles. Three is busyness. Um, I think just between mission and life and time has its hand around like our throat. Um, (laughs) And I, I think we're in survival mode, not flourishing mode so often. We're surviving, we're surviving, we're surviving. We're surviving and we're not flourishing. And then fourthly, I think unbelief. I think we we struggle with not trusting and believing. God wants to do more and to actually trust that. We actually don't want to simply lean on the things that we know we can do by like setting up ministries, having music that's kind of okay, hearing some general teaching, being relatively encouraged and not really having anyone push any buttons about how we spend our money or how we spend our time or what it means to be filled with wonder. And so we become burned out, cynical, or we become apathetic or we're not actually engaging the way and life of Jesus. I think we think too much often about how do we make things not weird. And maybe I'm like 
projecting a little bit onto you, but I know this is a struggle for me. And I have to remind myself sometimes, like, contextualization be damned. Like, the church can, like, the world can bend to the way of Jesus. I mean that with all love and, and spirit and hope, but sometimes it's so much work to, like, make people, like, normalize what it is to walk with Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Forget about all the, the, the weird stuff. Just to be people who are thinking critically about our money, about our time, about our energy, and actually doing the things that Jesus has called us to do and to be about, to abiding and resting in him. I think fear is a huge thing. And, and, and so my, my last kind of point here, if these are some of the things I think work against us, is how do we grow in power? My wife said she was going to monitor time for me. How are we doing? Doing all right, sweetie? Got the thumbs up. Never get that one. Usually it's like two minutes. How do you grow in power? Um, how do we grow in authority? Oh, man, there's so much we could talk about. To recognize our authority in Christ that he has given us, to lean into the things that God has gifted us to do. And some of that simply comes from asking. It's not the end. It's why we're really working hard to put together some like training for you guys. Our, our partners are doing this great thing in the coming over the summer of just doing little workshops around some of the central like gift areas. And there's lots of ways that we as a church can get better. But for some of us, just to start like asking God, what are the gifts you've given me? How many be aware and awake to the things that, that you have faith, just having more faith. And, and then this big piece of consecration. I think this is a, a really big, big thing. Where to be consecrated is basically to set something apart. Have you heard this word before, consecration? Say consecration with me. To be set apart for something. It's like the idea of blocking a lane of traffic for a purpose. Right, we, we, we block, we've got to like work on this part of this broken bridge and so we're blocking it so we don't die. First uh, Timothy 2 says, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do good work. Consecration is not saying no to good things because they're bad. It's saying no to good things because there are better things that you are hungry for. We've got to say yes to things that are better for us. Did I spend more time watching Breaking Bad than I did spending time with Jesus? Like simple questions. Am I really hungry for God to use me and to be a part of serving him? There's zero legalism in here. I'm not trying to say like, like you get these pieces together then. But I kind of am. It's like, not get these pieces together and then God will be happy with you. It's like, no, God's already given you access to the greatest life that there is. I think people are desperate to give their lives to something that's worth dying for. How many people want to give their lives to something that's worth dying for? And so we sort of half do it, we intellectually assent. And then I think we can get overly excited about like the goodies that God gives us. Like the, like the concert I was telling you about at the beginning of the service. Like we get excited about like the blessing of, of community. Community is beautiful and essential to the Christian walk, but it is not life with God, inherently. Right? Like, like music and food and rest, the joy of entertainment and art, and these things are stunning and a part of what it means to just be human. 
and all these redemptive things, but if these things are taking the place, the good things from God cannot replace God himself. I think the reason that we are often not, that we are powerless is that we are not hungry. Consecration. What are the good things that they're great, that they're good, but I need to block them off because there's something better. Because there is something better. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, Paul says, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. The kingdom of God, we are told, has been forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twelve. God is going to do what God is going to do in the sense that he is at work in the world. And so when we have this phrase that we toss around often is getting to join God in the work of renewal, that's the work of the kingdom is what we're referring to. And in getting to join God in that, I, I just want to humbly submit to you that what are the really good things in your life that need to just hit pause on because you're hungry for the things of God? Where are the places where to trust that God would empower you to step into the destiny that God has laid out in your life, the purposes that he has for you in your work, in your family, maybe things you need to bail on so you can chase and recognizing that it's not about you, it's about what God is building, this incredible thing that we get to be a part of. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. When you seek first the kingdom, anxiety fails. When you pick up your cross to seek first the kingdom, what do you have to do to pick up a cross what do you have to do if you're holding a bunch of stuff to pick up a cross? You've got to let it go. You can't get reached down and pick up the life of the kingdom and pick up the cross without letting your lust go, without letting your fear go, without letting the stupid things that we spend time on, or even the sometimes really great things, but they're not the best thing. How do we do this in a way that is glorifying to God? How do we do this in a way, and I just want to say, above all of this, as we need to be people, as we are pursuing the work of the Spirit, as we are picking up the things of God, as we are becoming the people God's called us to do and engaging the life of the community, we need to make sure we drive under the influence. Paul says, oh, context for that. Paul says over and over and over and over, as he's talking about power and serving God is love above all else. All that stuff can fade away, in fact. Love needs to rule over all of it. So when all that we do, we need to drive under the influence of love. We need to renounce apathy, theology that's destructive, busyness, unbelief, respectability and fear. And we need to increase authority, our gifts, our faith, our consecration, the things we need to be let go of, and our power. We need to be people who pray, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. I feel like this morning was like just drinking from a fire hose a little bit. Lord, I, uh, I, I just want, I like really, I, I want to be hungrier for you.
I trust alongside so many of my friends in this room that like your life is the best way. That walking in light of no fear and death of our identity, all of this like being grounded in you, of having access to being able to serve and move in such a way that brings you glory and, and helps renew the world, that helps put things back where they're supposed to be. I believe that and I am not hungry enough for it so many days. Wake up in the morning with an ache. I keep thinking like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who are hungry and thirsty for everything being made right and my part in it. From the things that feel so small, but God says are powerful and seeds of something greater. That with every diaper change and late night and date night and in, in, in making our family the kind of place where people would come into and experience God because it's, it's loving and hospitable is we're shaping each other to become all that God's called us to be, to the people called to start a non nonprofits and go across the world to the other side of the other side of the world to go and serve to, to, to those that are looking around at their neighborhood with fresh eyes, to those that are going into a job and, and, and hungering and thirsting for this place and its and its ethics and its giving in the in the individual souls that sit there in the in the seats and in the cubicles, are longing for your kingdom, for everything to be made right. Lord, we trust you and you say you gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You reconciled us and gave us that ministry. And so as Paul says, as though God were making his appeal through every single one of us that is walking with God, as though God were making his appeal through us, he is calling people back. You are calling people back to yourself. And so may we be people that push away from apathy and get hungry for the things of you. May we be open to what you want for us. May we be a church that speaks truth, that drives out brokenness, that's growing in what it means to, to be a healing community. I keep thinking of my friends in this room how we can spur one another on in better ways to just, just to be hungry together. May we be hungry together, God, for more of you, for more of you, that we would be empowered by you. We wouldn't be doing a bunch of stuff that feels just good that you haven't led us to do.